This morning, turn with me to the Gospel according to John, chapter 21. So, the Gospel according to John, and we're going to be in chapter 21, reading the verse first 14 verses. Notice here, we already had a reading from chapter 20 of John this morning. Now we move over past that just a bit to 21. And we'll start here with verse 1 and go to 14. This is the Word of God. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And He revealed Himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you? (laughs) Uh, They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the disciples that You called. Those disciples that then wrote for us eyewitness accounts of Your life, of Your teachings, of Your miracles, of Your crucifixion, death, and resurrection. We thank You for that, Lord. And now... We pray, O Holy Spirit, that You would interpret for us and apply Your Word to our hearts in the next few minutes and help us to respond in faith and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is what we celebrated. This is what we are still celebrating. This is what we will celebrate until He comes, until the day of the Lord 
is this confession, this celebration of He is risen. He is risen indeed. And yet, it seems that after Easter, uh, we kind of ask ourselves, maybe subliminally, so what? Now what? Maybe. He's risen. Yes, we had the big celebration. We you know, made a big shebang of it all. But now what? I mean, now that the... You know, I'm back to work, I'm normal stuff, normal routine week, now what? Uh, what does it all mean? It's kind of like uh, s- several big things in, in my own life that have a big build-up, and then it's a big you know, to-do, and then after all the party people leave, and after all the events have been cleaned up, and you're back to your normal swing of things, it just seems, oh, okay, now what? Now what? Um, the same thing happens in your life at big events such as graduation, such as uh, your wedding. Um, you know, there's a huge build-up, just like with Easter, all the way through Lent, 40 days of preparation, and you know, or really 46 days of preparation, and and then boom, you have this big celebration of Easter, and now you know, look around, and you know, there's not much celebration. The people are gone. The guests are gone. And so, what do we do? What does it mean? What happens now? And the disciples find themselves, do they not here in the text? They find themselves in the same place, don't they? He's, yes, He's risen, but He told us to wait in Jerusalem. And so, what does that mean? What, what, what are we supposed to be doing? I mean, are we just supposed to sit here and just watch the clock go by? Of course, if they're like me, which I tend to think that Peter was a little bit like me, man of action, you know, um, couldn't stop moving, maybe. Uh, he says, guys, I'm going fishing. I, I, don't, I don't know what y'all are going to do. If y'all want to sit here, uh, that's fine. I'm going fishing. And the rest of them say, hey, <laughs> sounds better than sitting here, right? I mean, what are, they, what are they supposed to be doing? They don't know yet. They're not sure yet what this promise is. Now, we know, looking back, it's the Holy Spirit. They can't really move forward until they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Until the Holy Spirit has been given to all people as the prophets had promised, as Jesus Himself had promised, and so too the Father had promised. But in the meantime, what do you do? I mean, we're 50 days out, you know, or we're less than 50 days now, out from Pentecost. When the Spirit will descend like fire. That promised baptism of fire that Jesus, you know, John the Baptist talked about, that Jesus was going to bring, was still a ways off. So what do you do? That's really the question. What are we supposed to be doing even in this waiting game for the day of the Lord? I mean, now we're kind of in a place like them where we're on a holding pattern. (laughs) I was told this week on something I was working on, well, it looks like you're just going to be on a holding pattern until somebody can make a decision. I don't like that. I like to be finished. I mean, if if I'm about two hours finished with a job, I want to. I want to finish the job. I don't want to wait on somebody to get another shipment in. It's going to take another week and a half, and me just have to leave it unfinished. I don't like that. I like to be done. I think Peter's like that. I think the disciples were like that. They wanted something to do, but they didn't know what to do. Of course, when you don't know what to do, my father always says, "Just do what you know to do." It's a pretty good, you know. You don't know what to do in life, just then do what you know to do. You know to pray. You can always rely on that, right? That ought to be default for us. Well, for these guys, it was fish, right? I mean, Peter, that was his pastime. That was his job, you remember? Jesus called them at the boats. 
They were fishermen. And He had called them, of course, famously, to be fishers of men. And so they go back to that old occupation. They drop the net. See, you know, hey, let's, let's make a fishing night of it. So they go out all night long and they catch nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. And so, I mean, these are... I mean, they're probably thinking, man, have we, <laughs> we lost our touch here? Maybe, maybe we've been out of game too long to where, you know, kind of lost my edge here on fishing. And they hear this guy shout, hey guys, you, you caught anything? No, sure hadn't. You know how fishing people are. If you've ever been fishing, everybody always wants to know how much you caught, right? We troll them with my pops, you know, and what you caught? Normally people lie too, you know. <laughs> oh, not too much, you know. Just a mess. I mean, what is a mess? You know, they're never going to tell you exactly where they caught them or how many they caught because that would be too much. And so, hey, no, we didn't catch anything. He said, well, how about you cast on the right side? <laughs> and they do it and they bring up um, so much that they can't bring it up. They're having to drag it to the shore. Interestingly, and I love this about this text here in John, did you notice that there's a specific number of fish that are counted here? Yeah. Now, I've toyed with this and, and just... Look, this is for free, and it's not law. Uh, it's not even close to that. It's not even probably a good commentary. But, but my, my take on it is this was maybe the last time they really tried to go fishing. I think they gave it up after this. And if it was the last time you did something that you loved, like it was last time I went mountain biking or last time I played a video game, I'd remember that time. I'd remember it pretty well. I'd know my KD. I'd know the trail I took. Um, and therefore, I think they counted these fish. I think this was it for them. They hung it up because they understood that they could no longer continue to go back to what they had done before and it be okay. It wasn't that fishing was bad. It wasn't that what you do is bad in your life. But it's that once you've met met the risen Lord, you can't go back to being your old self again. It's doing the same stuff maybe, but with a new twist. With new life under a new covenant, with new promises, with a new mission. Amen. It's not just going back to work. It's going back to work with mission. We just heard of a testimony right after Easter. Boom! Someone converts to the faith on their deathbed. Praise be to God. That's somebody that's not just working, but working with mission. So, it's one of these things... uh, that Lorstorfer, who was a, a professor of mine in college, used to always tell us, he says, look, he called them to be fishers of men, but he just could, if they were garbage men, he would have called them to be garbage men of men. Amen. Or for this area, engineers of men. Computer programmers of people. Homemakers of people. It's taking whatever job you have And now you're doing it with Jesus. Not just for money. But with Jesus and with the purpose of pouring out your life for the sake of others. Just as Christ did. (laughs) And so Jesus is going to turn this into a lesson like He always does. By the time they get back to the shore... Well, by the way, do you love how... I love how John always refers to himself in his own gospel, which is the one whom Jesus loved. People have said, you know, why does he say that? Why does he, why does he refer to himself in this way? Did he think that Jesus loved him more? You know, did he, did he 
Is he trying to say that he loved Jesus more? No, 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 no. He could never get over the fact that Jesus loved him. So he doesn't just say, yeah, John, the one who's writing here, you know, instead is the one whom Jesus loved. He is the apostle of love, as they call him, because you read his books and they're filled with God's love. He's the one who makes that famous statement, God is love. Not just that he does love or does acts of love, but himself is love. And so the one whom Jesus loves says, hey, that's the Lord, man. And Peter, like Peter always does, is he may not catch it first. John normally catches things first. But Peter acts first, doesn't he? <laughs> John may see it first, but, but Peter's the one. He's already in the water. Hey, man, out. And he's gone, right? He's out. He's, he's already swimming aboard, freestyling, right? <laughs> and, and so he makes it ashore. And Jesus says, hey, go grab some fish. And he's already got a, got a, he's whipped up a charcoal fire and, and he's ready to cook. And so he's proving to them again that he has a real body. That's what this is about. This whole eating thing, yeah, it, it is reminiscent of communion, yes, but also it's the fact that Jesus is showing them that he has a real body. He's not, remember one of the kids up here said, in our little children's chat, said, yeah, like a ghost. Yes, like a ghost, he went through walls, but he was not a ghost. He was able to eat. They were able to push into his wounds and fill them. So at the same time, he's ghostly looking, but not a ghost. He's whipping up fish. I knew there was something special about seafood. (laughs) And so they eat fish together and they break bread. And... This was the third time John records that Jesus revealed Himself to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. So I asked myself this question when I came across this text again. Okay, what are we supposed to be doing then? After Easter, what does that mean? If we're kind of in a holding pattern for the day of the Lord when He brings everything to a conclusion... What are we supposed to be about? Well, the first thing is that we don't need to default back to our old ways. Doesn't mean you can't go back to your job. Doesn't mean you have to quit your job. People in Paul's day were actually quitting their jobs when he writes to Corinth because they thought the eschaton, the second coming, was actually already happened. That it was about to happen any day. And so they said, hey, look, you know, if Jesus is going to come back two or three days from now, why am I going to work? That's stupid. I'm just going to let the church support me, man. I'm going to praise Jesus until He comes. Paul says, no, 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 no. You got it wrong. No, no. Go back to work. Don't you remember when we were with you, we worked with our own hands? That's what he tells the Thessalonians. Paul built tents on the side, you may remember. And so at Thessalonica and other places, he says, look, I worked my own hands so that you, didn't even, you weren't even able to say, hey, we supported you, man. So we can also ask you to leave. No, you can't ask me to leave. I'm staying because you don't support me. So Paul's asserting here an authority over them because he actually worked with his own hands. And so one thing that we do is once we go back to work after Easter, we go back with new mission. We go back with new purpose under a new covenant. Isn't that what we celebrated? The new covenant now has been sealed in His blood. The Holy Spirit is going to be promised to these guys 
is already fact for us. We're not waiting on Pentecost. We are in the season of the church, but not in reality. He's available now. Amen. He is to be in us now. And yet it's really easy to default, isn't it? I mean, it's what we are used to, and I think we're comfortable with what we... I mean, humans are creatures of habit. I mean, that's just what we are. It's, it's why you need coaches even in the big leagues. You ever, you ever wonder about that? I mean, these guys are professionals. They should be teaching other people, and yet they need a coach. Why? Because even in baseball, they revert back to their default stuff. And the coaches need to remind them, hey, 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 don't you remember that? Let's get back to the basics here, you know? We all really need coaches. Spiritual coaches. Spiritual directors. Disciplers. We need mothers and fathers in the faith that come alongside us to coach us through certain things. We need that. We need to look. If you think you're a professional, you've already made a mistake. In this game, you've already made a mistake. We want to be teachable. That starts with me. I need to be teachable. And so, we also not only need coaches, but this came to me too. We need fans. We need fans. Any game has has fans. I mean. It's really boring when you even turn on a... I mean, sometimes I turn on a baseball game and I'm like, nobody's even there. It makes me feel like I don't even want to watch it. But when people are there, even just on a big screen there, I, I want to watch it. I feel like it's important, even though it may not be. We need fans. We need people cheering us on. Don't you need that? I need that. I can tell you right now, I'm willing to say, I need people to cheer me on from time to time. <laughs> this stuff doesn't just automatically happen for me. It takes work. And sometimes work is tough. And I need people to cheer me on, just like you need people to cheer you on in your Christian life. Here Jesus comes to them with, with good news, with peace. He's cheering them on. And Jesus is our biggest fan, but we need to be fans of other people. Look, I'm telling you, just a single little phrase during the week can carry you through an entire week. You notice that? People, you know, the old aphorism, six and seven may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is untrue. Words will kill you. They'll do worse than hurt you. They'll either kill you or make you live. Um, and so we need to be careful with our tongue, but we need to use, not just be careful, but we need to use it for God. Again, we're on a new mission. We have, we have new reason to believe that what we're about this week is for the sake of other people. And so, instead of defaulting back, we need to stay disciplined. And the only way to do that is to be coached. To be discipled. One good way to do that is through small groups. Through meeting with an accountability partner. Someone in the faith that, you, that, that really holds you to the fire. Hold, you know, look, we can all get in here and say, Oh yeah, I want to be a better Christian. Oh yeah, I want to be sanctified. Oh yeah, I want this. I want God to make me a person that forgives but look, it's all a bunch of words unless you have somebody holding you to the fire. Teaching you how to do that. Helping you do it. We all need that. I'm, I'm telling you, if the big leagues guys need it, we need it down here. I'm in the little leagues. In a spiritual life. And so we need to stay the course. Don't get sidelined. Don't get distracted. Easy to get distracted. Don't. 
Don't. Yes, in, in waiting, it's easy to pull out the phone, right? I mean, I notice in, in doctor's offices, everybody's glued to their phone. I have to laugh sometimes because, uh, you know, with, with all our kids we've had, I've spent a l- little bit of time in, in waiting rooms. Um, and I've noticed that even just in general, people don't like to have nothing to do. They feel like they're useless. So even if you don't have anything going on on your phone, you act like you do. I've noticed that. People, people actually do that. They, they, you know, looking around, everybody's look like they're busy, so they, yeah, let me just get a phone call here. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? We, we have to feel like we're always busy or do our perception. We want to we look busy. But you know what? We, sometimes we need to slow down. Sometimes we, we have to wait on the Lord. That's the only way for our strength to be renewed. It's not to go, 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 but instead, wait. I mean, you would think, I mean, people say all the time, you know, man, we gotta, we got to be out on mission. we got to be doing this. Sometimes you need to wait. Were they not told to wait in Jerusalem? You say, well, people are dying and going to hell. Look, God already knows that, and He told them to wait. They would have done more damage if they did not have the Holy Spirit if they were not filled with the Spirit. This is that whole enigmatic thing in the, in the, in the Gospel of Mark where He's always telling them, don't tell anybody what I just did. Don't tell anybody. Don't t- keep silent. Don't tell them I healed you. Don't tell them, I, don't tell them who I am. You're saying, why? why? Why don't we need to tell them? I mean, you need to tell people. No, they weren't ready yet. They weren't ready. They didn't know who Jesus... Trust me, you can do a lot more damage if you have Jesus wrong Amen. and are witnessing... Trying to, trying to help someone through a grieving period and you've got it wrong theologically, tell you, that, can, that can hurt somebody for life. Cheap answers can hurt somebody for life. And so we wait. We wait. We hurry up and wait. That's the way it feels sometimes, isn't it? In, on 72 traffic, I'm hurrying up to get home only to wait. That's the way it sometimes feels, isn't it? Waiting on the Lord to come back or waiting on Him to do something specific that we're asking Him to do. <laughs> It's almost, a, it's almost a waiting game. And yet, the Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good. That means we have a danger of growing weary. You realize that, right? I always ask people this simple question. If the Bible warns us not to lose faith, not to stop on this race, doesn't that mean we can stop? Doesn't that mean we can lose faith? If not, why the warnings? The warnings are clear. And here, we can grow weary sometimes, can't we? In doing good, it can become mechanical. Oh yeah, go to church, do my little thing, check the box, check the box, check the... It has to come back to love. Amen. It has to come back to love. If it's not done out of love, Paul says very clearly, it's nothing. Nothing. Not half, not a quarter, not five sixteenths. Nothing. We also have to realize that we're on mission with Him. He will always use people. God always sends a person. Isn't that fascinating in the Bible? He, he never just drops a message from heaven, you know, and it lands on our desk and we say, oh, well, <laughs> thanks a lot, appreciate it. Instead, He always sends a person. Moses. Elijah. He always is sending somebody. Not just a voice from heaven. 
to us, but rather people. Jesus. You. Me. If He's going to send His good news throughout Madison, Huntsville, it's going to be through us. He incarnates the Gospel always in the flesh. And so we must be engineers, painters, teachers of men, of people, to all the world. We're a new community. We have new life in Christ. We've got to share that. It's not meant to be kept to ourselves. That's like saying, you know what? I love this milk so much. I'm going to keep it for a year because I just really like it. And then I'm going to drink it on a special day a year from now. Um, it's not going to work. You say, why? I mean, other things you keep it for a long time, right? Here are people freezing cake after their wedding and then trying to eat that later on. I told Jessica up front, not going to happen. First of all, I don't like cake that much, much less frozen cake for a year. <laughs> Some things just aren't meant to keep over time. If you think salvation is about you keeping something or holding on to it, it's never meant to hold on to. Amen. Never. It's meant to be given to other people. It becomes a cesspool if you try to keep it. It must be flowing in and out of our lives. It's like trying to hold your breath. You know what? Air is important. I'm just going to hold my breath. And you'll realize that you can't do that. It's meant to be breathed in and out. So too is grace. So too is His love. We can't just breathe it in and be a hog. That's what I call my children when they're eating. They never give back. They just shoot off the table like, hey guys, there's cleanup to do here. You can't just feed and then leave. you got to give back. And in the Christian life, we need to give back. That's what we're doing after Easter. He's done all this stuff. We've been fed. He's, he's done something great among us. We've had a great time last week. Now we give back. Now we give back. You say, well, how? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first way is to come to worship. Just simple. 52 times in the year, we'll be meeting. Just 52 times. Now, you do a lot more within a whole year 52 times, you do a lot of stuff that, that many times and more. But 52 times, for a couple hours on Sunday morning, you purposely come to worship prepared to meet Jesus. Prayerfully. The other thing is, you get involved with small groups. Get involved with somebody that is uh, an accountability partner for you. You be discipled. You put yourself in a position to have somebody speaking into your life besides just you. you. We need that. We all need that. We need each other. The other thing is we need to be cheerful givers. Amen. God has given us so much. Gifts, money, positions, power in our jobs. I mean, I'm telling you, he, this is a very gifted place here. Very gifted. And, and, and those words always echo in my head that scare me in the Bible. To whom much has been given, much is required. We've been given a lot. That means a lot is required. And so we need to be cheerful givers. Givers that 
give because we understand what God has done. And we understand who's really the king and the boss. (laughs) It's not me. We also need to serve someone else inside the church and outside the church. Again, you need to have a double ministry here. A ministry here at the church, but also you need to have a ministry outside the church. You notice here that they were obedient and they were blessed because of that obedience, weren't they? In other words, they, Jesus says, hey, cast on the right side, they cast on the right side, and they get a super abundance of fish and their net did not tear. We too, if we're going to be successful at Harvest Point, in anything we do, anything you do in your own life, if you're going to be successful, you must be obedient to Him. Amen. Now today is the third year anniversary of the 20, April 27th tornadoes that come through. And crazy, it's been three years. And a lot of people's lives are destroyed. The, the largest EF5 that, that came through our area uh, was a half mile north of my house. I saw it that day. It was a very scary day for my kids. It traumatized them, uh, I'm afraid, for life. And, um, and on that day, there's a, there's a funny story that comes out, but it has a, has a really good point um, about obedience. That day, Jessica got very serious with our kids because it was a very serious day, and they understood that. Um, and, and you know, at that point, it was just uh, Jackson, Baylor, and Bo. Bo was a little bitty baby, and uh, Jackson was four years old. And uh, so we had gotten in the bathtub several times already that day, or they had. And um, and I'd gotten home, and you know, we knew the bad stuff was coming along uh, that afternoon, and and they knew it was a big one. I mean the. It was, it was very sobering to hear over the radio the person start crying as they were telling you how big this tornado was and what it had done in its past uh, through Phil Campbell and other places like that. And that it was headed directly in our path. And it was, it was headed in such a way that, that we weren't able to leave. I didn't, we didn't know and we weren't able to leave. And, um, and so, so all I could do was watch out the window. And so Jessica got very serious with Jackson and Baylor and told them, you know, it was in our other house in the little, little bathroom there. And she said, she said, look, when mommy tells you to do something, you need to do it right then. Right away. No questions asked. It's a very serious. And they understood. I mean, they, yes, ma'am. I mean, they were scared to death, you know. Um, I mean, we'd already seen our, our trampoline blow over 50 yards and break in half and break our neighbor's yard. Uh, I mean, yard, uh, the fence. And so they, they, uh, they knew it was serious. And so Jessica said, all right, when, when it, time comes, we're going to get in the bathtub, you know. And so, so uh, you know, I'm looking out the window. We're listening. And, and here comes that EF5. I mean, it was just a black wall. It was, it was just crazy. And, uh, and so the trees started swirling and, you know, rain is coming sideways into the... And so I said, okay, guys, get in, get in, get in. And she said, everybody get in the bathtub now. And we turn around and Jackson is completely naked. <laughs> And she said, son, son, what are, you, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting a bathtub, mama. <laughs> you know. <laughs> poor, poor guy thought that getting in the bathtub meant you had to get in the bathtub naked. And the only way he had known to get in the bathtub was naked. So he was very obedient and yet uh, a little off on that. And so we made it. We put a mattress over our head and it came by a half a mile from our house. And uh, praise be to God that we made it through. I'll tell you that story to say, you know, we need to be like little children, don't we? 
We need to, we need to obey without any kind of question. <laughs> and when we do, we'll be blessed for that. It's a funny story, but it has a reality to it, and that is he was ready to accept whatever his mother told him. He, did, he didn't know why he had to do what he was doing. <laughs> Even though it was a little off, he still did it. Sometimes in our Christian life, doesn't God ask us to do some crazy things? He's asked me to do some crazy things, I'm telling you. Go talk to people that I didn't know. Maybe drop a line to somebody I hadn't talked to in a long time. But I'm telling you, if you do it, without hesitation, you'll be blessed. Amen. You'll be blessed. Amen.